hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson in studio with Jasmine Allnut. And we are so excited about this next series. So, yes, <laughs> we're still doing Women Worth Knowing. Yes. But we're going to go into Women Worth Knowing because they were involved in the medical field. Mm. So we can just give you a heads up of some of the women that we'll be looking at. Mm-hmm. Helen Rosevear, Ida Scudder, mm-hmm. Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. Gosh, Elizabeth I just threw a blank. Yep, Elizabeth Fry. Yeah, she kind of is like a lead-in into some of that because she was a part of other ministry as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a couple other gals I'm totally drawing they a blank. Are. And it's it's really <laughs> interesting because the more that you kind of start looking at this, the more you discover like, oh, my goodness, this person and that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So years ago when I was um, – I, I don't even know where. I love used books. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. And I love to go to the biography section of, of used bookstores. It's like biographies um, and history tend to be my favorite subjects. And so as I was looking at biographies, I saw this book called Elizabeth Blackwell, First Female Doctor. And Ooh. I picked it up and I loved this book and fell in love with Elizabeth Blackwell. But something that I didn't realize was Elizabeth Blackwell was the first female doctor, first doctor in England, first actually to be recognized in England and the United States. Amazing. They say, though, that there were doctors before that going back to, like, B.C. times. Sure. That there were female doctors, but none of them documented. But Elizabeth Blackwell is absolutely documented in the first. And this was amazing struggle that she had to become a doctor. Mm. So we're going to talk. We're going to do a two-parter on Elizabeth Blackwell, and she's going to kind of start off this series on, you know, medical women worth knowing because she's so amazing and all the hurdles that she went through. It's so amazing. So she was born February 3rd, 1821 to a Quaker family in Bristol, England. And she was the third child of Samuel and Emily Blackwell. So she was their third daughter. So her she had two older sisters, and then she's going to have two younger sisters, and she's going to end up with five brothers. So it's going to be altogether a family of 10. And it's interesting that she was a Quaker, yes. because as we've, we've kind of touched on this before, but Quakers really encouraged women they did. and empowered them to do ministry and in different fields, as we see. So. And especially her father, he was an egalitarian, which mm-hmm. means he believed that all men were created equal. And this is a quote from Samuel Blackwell. He said, all human beings are equal. Black, white, rich, poor, men, women, even children have their rights. Um, Elizabeth was raised with many single aunts. Her dad's sisters also lived in the home, as well as her siblings and parents. And he, um, this is what makes him unusual. He insisted that his five daughters and five sons receive the exact same education. So all the Blackwell children were taught French, Latin, Greek, math, science, and history, as well as music. He owned a large sugar refinery and was known for his relationship and fairness to all his employees. And this is really unusual in those times to have a man who actually cares about his employees. And he would meet once a week to discuss with his employees the conditions that they were working under um, to make sure that they didn't feel like they were being abused or, you know, overworked. 
I wonder really, if that, yeah, I wonder if that has to do with the Quaker belief that the divine light is in people, all people, so you have to treat everybody with respect and that kind of a thing. It, it could be, yeah. but I, I just love that fact hmm. that he just cared so much about that. Um, he used to say when another famous quote, or I guess it was famous in the Blackwell household, <laughs> <laughs> the heart must be educated. And he believed that people longed for education and to know. And he, he felt like if people would only be educated, a lot of the problems would disappear. He took his family to church every Sunday. And church for all the Blackwells was a privilege that Elizabeth absolutely loved. But at this time, now remember, this is like the 1830s, 1820s, 1830s. Mm -hmm. Things in Bristol and Manchester were very tempestuous. What do you think? 1820s, 1830s. So you're right on the the cusp of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, no, Industrial Revolution. But think about what's happening in France at this time. Oh, yeah. It's post-French Revolution. And there's a lot. There are a lot of actual revolutions in 1848 as well. So we're coming into a lot of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So France had experienced the revolution. There was constant mob riots, looting, and growing tensions in Bristol. So all these riots would just suddenly erupt in Bristol. And at one such riot, um, he stood between the violent protesters and an Anglican church. It wasn't even his church, but he stood there protecting the edifice and the pastor. Wow. And he talked the crowds down from attacking uh, at the expense of his own life. I mean, it yeah, was very a very risky. dangerous thing to do. But because Bristol was getting so dangerous, he wanted to move his business and his family to America. However, he didn't want to leave his employees in the lurch. Like, what will my employees do if, you know, I take their jobs away? Wow. If I, you know, move my my factory. <laughs> Who thinks that way? I know. <laughs> so considerate. Yes. But in 1832, rioters torched his factory and it was burned to the ground. Because these rioters and this mob mentality, they didn't care about who were the good businessmen. Mm-hmm. They were just out for vengeance and just to cause riots. Yeah. So Samuel took his wife and at that time nine children— the governess, the nurse, and his sisters, all to America. And they rented a house in New York and another in Long Island. Well, immediately, he became a prominent voice in the abolition movement. He Mm -hmm. saw the slavery in America and thought it was absolutely abominable, Mm -hmm. and he was outspoken. But this was not a popular sentiment in New York at this time. This was a very dangerous thing to be an abolitionist. It was still early, still early, yeah. Right. But already, um, you know, Wilbur Wilberforce and these men and and Newton had gained popularity in England, Mm -hmm. and abolition had already taken place in England. But he even wrote a book of poetry called Anti-Slavery Rhymes. In 1834, there was a riot in New York, and a mob broke up the anti-slavery meeting that Mr. Blackwell was at. And he came home with his coat missing and a sock torn. Mm-hmm. And many homes of black families that the Blackwells were good friends with were torched and burned down mm-hmm. that day. Another time, he hid and protected a pastor and his family. And this pastor and his family, uh, they were in trouble because the pastor on a Sunday morning had the audacity to say, even our Lord Jesus Christ was of darker skin than we are. And the people wow. got up and started rioting. And so, th- was this a white pastor? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, wow. And this is in New York. Mm-hmm. And so, the Blackwell's tenth child and last child, George, was also born in America. Samuel tried to open a sugar refinery, but it was unsuccessful. And then in 1837, after a bank collapse, he moved his family to Cincinnati, Ohio. And he 
was trying again unsuccessfully to build something, and he died of fever. Hmm. So remember, in those days, they didn't have the hygiene that we have, and yeah. a lot of the water was polluted from some of the factories. Oh, they hadn't that figured out up. cholera yet. Yeah, Mm-mm. that was yeah before that time. So Elizabeth and her sisters needed to help the family out, and by this time, she's eighteen, and she realizes I have to go to work. And her two older sisters, and because they were so well educated, they got jobs immediately as teachers. Now, her brothers um, also went to work, and they began to sell hardware, and they became very successful at it, even opening up hardware stores that became very, very popular. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, At this time, because she was a teacher and she was a little frustrated, she was searching for kind of an intellectual society. And you've got to remember, most women weren't educated. So she really wanted fellowship, so to speak, with educated women. Dr. Lyman Beecher Mm. had founded the Lane Theological Center which was one of the first schools that trained both men and women in higher education. And Elizabeth became friends with Catherine Beecher and then later with Harriet Beecher uh, Stowe. Hey, hey, who we know. (laughs) Yeah, they met regularly for intellectual discussions. There were a lot of women that were part of this group, but two of them were magazine editors, which again was very novel to have a woman as an editor of a magazine, and it was The Dial and The Harbinger. And these were both very popular magazines in their day. So she's in a very, what do I say, liberated yeah. uh, group. Yeah. And Progressive. So, <laughs> yes. And Elizabeth longed to do something with her life, and she really wanted more education and to go to a higher education, but she needed money. And of course, she didn't have any money because of everything that had befallen her family. So she moved to Kentucky to take a teaching position in order to make more money for the family. She was called back because one of her mother's friends was sick, and she started taking care of this friend. She's 24 years old. And her mother's friend had a particularly female illness, and Hmm. male doctors were really incapable of dealing with it, or and also the modesty issue. And her mother's friend felt very uncomfortable. No, I remember reading something even about, like, I think it was during the American Revolutionary period or the colonial period about how, like— with um, birthing and stuff, the midwives knew everything, and these male doctors would come in and, and not have the right advice. And it was like the women knew better how to take care of women. That's so true. Yeah. And it was then that the desire to become a doctor began to arise in Elizabeth because she wished that there was just a female physician that could tend and understand what this woman was going through. When she began to feel like maybe she wanted to be a doctor, she talked over the possibility with Harriet Beecher Stowe, who discouraged her. Aren't Interesting. You that is actually really surprising. Because there was this prejudice, especially against women being doctors. Was she trying to protect her? Or, no. You know, okay. it, women just felt in those days that men were superior yeah, in, in, in that, certain yeah. areas, yeah. in certain arenas. that They felt like women could write and could be great writers mm. because they had the emotions and the expressiveness. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about something that's like nuts and bolts. Science, yeah. Yes. They were like, oh, no, leave that to the men. And the family count, though, James H. Perkins, when he heard about Elizabeth's desire, again, this is a man, he told her, yes, let's do it. And he encouraged her to write letters Hmm. seeking endorsement by doctors. So she wrote all these letters, you know, please, I want to be a female doctor. And she got either no replies or negative replies. But a small door opened in North Carolina for her to teach and to spend the evenings training in medicine with Reverend John Dixon. Hmm. 
And so she went to North Carolina and she studied chemistry, anatomy, and physics. Her brothers also encouraged her and they sent whatever monetary support that they could so she could study. She met one man, Dr. William Elder, and he actually believed in women's education. And so again, there are people that believe in women's education, but they don't believe in women's education in the field of medicine. Right. This is kind of the sticking point. Yes, women should be educated to be writers and to be intellectuals, but should yeah. they be doctors? Yeah. So Dr. William Elder was willing um, to train her and to see if she could kind of make the grade, right? Mm. So he met with her and agreed to train her. In the meantime, she sought to letters from other doctors in Philadelphia to support and train her because Philadelphia was the main center of medical education at that point. But she met with opposition. She kept yeah. persevering until she persuaded Dr. Elder to let her sit in on his lectures and train in surgery. Now, she was doing this not for a grade, but just for the experience. And didn't sometimes they would not want her to even be in the lecture hall? That's going to be later. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. But what happened, this is just for her just to learn. Oh, like a private. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, but we will get to that because that's mm. very important and that will come up. But so she, he says, if you can get the surgical equipment that you could come in and you can do labs and you can listen to my lectures. So when she went to buy the surgical equipment, she was met with mockery, like, oh, what's a woman doing this? And in fact, they wouldn't even sell it to her for weeks. Uh, just by sheer perseverance, this woman, Elizabeth Blackwell, mainly is persevering. She just doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> so she borrowed an apron and she finally got her surgical equipment and she began to train, even though she wouldn't receive any credit for this. So the doctor's going to see, is she up to the grade again? And so what he does is he puts a human arm from a corpse in front of her <laughs> and, you know, says, this is what I want you to do. Open it up. And she opens it up and then she stands back and she looks at it and he's thinking, oh, mm -mm, she couldn't do it. It's too much for her because many men fainted at the right. dissection of an arm. And, and this, would, yeah. was, this was a test to who could be a doctor, who could go further. Yeah, you, could expect, you would expect a woman to be weak and right. not and be that, able to, yeah. That was the expectation, yeah. right? And so after opening up and looking at it, she said, what beautiful construction. <laughs> it fills one with reverence. I mean, she was so excited as she saw, you know, all the different, the bones, the nerves, and, you know, all of the um, the muscles of the human arm. And she just saw the creativity and the beauty of God, the genius of God. Awesome. She applied to Philadelphia Medical College and went to see Dr. Samuel Jackson, armed with recommendations from Dr. Dickinson and Dr. Elder. But this is Dr. Samuel Jackson. There has never been a woman student in our school, nor at any other institution of medical instruction in the States. In fact, I know of no country, madam, in which such a request has been made or granted. This is Elizabeth. What I request is, believe me, neither improper nor immodest. Women were the first physicians. I have heard, and I see no cause for keeping them from a study for which, by nature, they are so well fitted. Do we not tend the sick in our homes and care mm. for the children? So Dr. Elder uh, mm. continued to train her and one day let her listen to the heartbeat of a young girl with a stethoscope. She didn't own a stethoscope at this time. And she was just astounded 
by the sound of a human heartbeat. She knew more than ever that she wanted to be a doctor. It was then suggested to her that she should dress as a man and go to Paris and study to be a doctor. Because if she could dress as a man, they would allow her into a medical school. And in Paris, nobody would know her. They wouldn't know the family. But she said, no, I want to be a woman and be a doctor. And this is interesting because later her brother Henry will marry the suffragette Lucy Stone. But she did not want to be a suffragette. She said, I don't want to become a man or have the rights of man. I want to be a woman and serve as God has called me. And she really felt Mm. that this is a calling of God. Mm. And she wanted to follow medicine as a calling of God, not even necessarily as a trailblazer. She would never have even been able to persevere if she didn't believe it was a call from God. It doesn't seem, you know, I mean, she had to know that. Right. So she wrote seeking admission to every medical school in America, Harvard, Bodwin, Yale, and even one in Woodstock. I mean, she applied to over, I think it was like 20 or 30 schools. Mm. And she was refused by all of them because she was a woman. But her little sister, Emily, told Elizabeth that she also wanted to be a doctor someday. And this really inspired Elizabeth to keep trying because Mm. she was so close to her little sister, Emily. And she thought, I'm going to do this not just for me, but for Emily, too, because Emily was so brilliant. So one day, she gets an acceptance letter. Now, she got all those refusals, but she gets one acceptance letter Mm. from a very little-known college. She had never even heard of it before Mm. when she applied, but it was up near the Finger Lakes in New York, and it was called Geneva College. It was a school of medicine, Mm. and they sent out an acceptance, and she wrote out immediately— However, upon reaching the college, she was already two weeks late because they sent it late. Mm. She gets there. She's two weeks late. She finds out that her acceptance had been a joke, and they had no intention of allowing a woman admittance. But what happened is the faculty didn't want to look like they were being prejudiced or keeping a woman back. So they decided to let the students vote. And they were sure that all the male students would say no. But the male students thought, oh, let's get even with the faculty. And they thought it would be so funny if they voted yes, let's have a female student. So they all voted yes. So then— (laughs) As a joke. (laughs) As a joke. So they sent her a letter of acceptance. But then once she got there, they said no. But she had a legal right then because they had accepted her. Mm -hmm. So she went, but when she went, one of the doctors was actually, one of the lectures was really open to Elizabeth being there. He was more progressive than the others, but he was gone for three weeks. And so the man who was taking his class refused Elizabeth admittance. Not only did he refuse her admittance, but no one would sell her the books she needed or offer any help. So she would go to buy the books and nobody would even sell her the books she needed for class. But by sheer perseverance, she went to that class every day and would sit outside or do whatever it took. And finally, they relented when they saw her determination and they gave her the books and they they figured, well, she won't, they won't, she won't make it. Yeah. You know, this is not going to happen. But when Dr. James Hadley, who was the one who was willing to let her go to his lectures, but he'd been gone three weeks, found out what happened to her, he then said, I will accompany you to every class and make sure that they let you in. Wow. So he made sure she got the books, and he made sure that they let her in. Now, remember, she's now five weeks behind. So not only is she a woman and not accepted, but she's five weeks behind, but she catches up. She catches up with everything. Her classes Brilliant. would begin at 8 a.m. and would go sometimes till 
12 midnight. Whoa, what? Wow. (laughs) But there was another doctor, Dr. Webster, who worked with her personally, even teaching her the art of surgery. And as she studied the human anatomy, she wished not only to be a doctor, to be, be a surgeon. That's what she wanted to do more than anything else. At this time, a newspaper wrote an article on her, and people came just to see her in class because it was such a novelty to have a woman studying medicine. They came to see if she could do it, and she became kind of famous in this town in Finger Lakes because she was the only and the first woman to seek to be a medical doctor. Elizabeth worked hard to earn the other students' respect, and they began to call her Blackwell. And they begin to so respect her intellect and her hard work. However, one day the lecturer in the dissection encouraged her to be absent from the class since they would be working on a man's corpse. She refused. And this is what she said. All parts of the human body are holy within the sight of God, nor are the pangs of disease biased. When she walked in the class that day, she was given a standing ovation by all the other students. Amazing. Because she was saying, you know what? It's not about the sexuality. It's about being a creation of God and the body is holy. Boy, isn't that so true? Like that's one of the big things about Christianity is the elevation of the human body is made in the image of God, all of those things. Has so much more respect. And that's why all men do too. She memorized the names of all 200 bones, 400 muscles, nerves, glands in Greek and Latin. Before continuing in her studies, Elizabeth was to intern at a hospital. So she put in applications at all these different hospitals. And what do you think happened? Denied. Denied, (laughs) denied, denied, denied. But there was an infirmary in a place called Blockley in Philadelphia. And it was the worst of the worst. It was the darkest. It was where criminals and those who had no money went. And the mortality rate was huge at Blockley. And that was the only place that would allow her to come. So she applied and was accepted. This is her description. Bleak and desolate meadows situated beyond the river at the outskirts of the city. Four massive buildings, a quadrangle of stone, guarded by a high unpainted fence, an iron gate, and a gatekeeper's cupola. More than a thousand sick and poor orphans, aged, vagrants, and victims of poverty and fever. It was a poorhouse and a hospital shunned by good citizens and exploited by the greed of politicians. Mm. So she's assigned the third floor. And many of the patients, when she went there and began to work, resented her just for being a woman. I mean, the patients themselves are like, I want it. The, yeah, the you would think patients. these poor people would mm-hmm. be like happy mm-hmm. to have anyone. Yes. No, I want a male doctor. And the other resident doctors undermined her constantly. Uh, one of the times they stole all her charts. She was supposed to go check the charts. And as she entered each room, there was no chart. But rather than making a fuss or reporting their mischief, she just looked at this one sick girl she was to attend. And she saw a look of defiance in this girl. And that the girl was angry at having a female physician. And so Elizabeth thought she knows where the charts are. So instead of saying, where are the charts or demanding anything, she asked the girl about the abscess on her knee. And she really looked at it and she asked her specific questions. And no doctor had taken that much time with this girl or cared about it, or asked her about her pain level and her comfort. And as Elizabeth began to talk to her and, you know, actually attend Mm. the abscess herself, the girl burst out in tears and told her where all the medical charts were hidden. And 
Elizabeth slowly but surely gained the report, uh, the respect of everyone, um, even the matrons at this hospital who mainly cheated and <laughs> drank all the, um, you know, they would give wine and alcohol often right. uh, for surgeries. Which will come up with Florence Nightingale. Yes. The nursing profession was a mess before. Yes. Yeah. And the, the nurses would take this and drink yeah, it themselves. Drunk. <laughs> they were drunk most of the time. Yep. But she began to win the respect because she really cared, and she cared about them. Another time, an old woman, resentful that she was a female, refused to cooperate with Elizabeth. But Elizabeth gave her a present of calf's jelly, and after that, the woman loved her and cooperated with her and only wanted Elizabeth to attend to her. Smart. The nurses were so mean to the patients. They were untrained, crooked, and stole from the patients rather than cared for them. The hygiene was also terrible at Lockley. Elizabeth was always opening windows and sanitizing. She believed in fresh air, which was really novel to the mm. medical profession. And it was while at Blockley that the concept of home health care, training households and nurses in hygiene, disease prevention, and healthy eating began to develop in Elizabeth's mind. She's one of the first people to say, we can prevent diseases. We need to work not just on healing them, but preventing them. The food also was terrible. In fact, Elizabeth wrote home saying it was inedible, and she was overworked. Nevertheless, she persevered, saying, I go on smoothly and healthily at Blockley. There is nothing pestilential among the diseases, and I live simply, do my duty, trust in God, and mock the devil. <laughs> More than 100 children were crowded in one long room at the end of the hospital. There were no toys for them to play with, and the conditions were so filthy that each of the children developed the disease yeah. of the eye. Ophthalmalia, yeah, in the yeah. eyes, yeah. And it spread because of the dirty towels. Mm -hmm. And there was no night nurses, so Elizabeth would often go to the children's room at night or whenever she heard a child crying, and she actually, by hygiene— healed their eyes and said that she was considered a miracle worker because the children's eyes all cleared up. During this time, Elizabeth began to study typhus and even wrote a paper on it that received high marks back at Blockley. And it was so good that it was read aloud by her professors to all the students. That just reminds me, you know, I, I forget, like, we forget sometimes that germs were really only discovered in the 1800s during this time. It's not That's like right. they knew about all of this. And That's like right. you were saying, spreading things. Well, this is the time of Louis Pasteur and his wife, yes. who will probably do his yeah, wife, too, eventually. because she was a scientist, right? So Geneva College then took on a vote on whether to be pro or anti-slavery. Um, the vote was put to the students, and because of Elizabeth's anti-slavery position, she was the deciding factor for the college. Elizabeth graduated in 1849 as one of the top students in her class. Mm. But rather than march through the streets as the only female student because she didn't want to cause embarrassment to the College of Geneva or to the men, she decided to not go in the march because she thought that would be like they'd be getting attention not for their achievement, but just because she was with them. So she went to the door, and with her brother Henry, she went into a side door of the church where the graduation ceremony was to be held. How gracious, considering— <laughs> Isn't that? Because she didn't want to be a spectacle. She just wanted to be a doctor. Mm. And when her name was called to receive her diploma, she wasn't supposed to speak, but she couldn't resist. And she said, Sir, I thank you. By the help of the Most High, it shall be the effort of my life to shed honor upon your diploma. Wow. Uh, and so I, I think that—well, one more thing. So then, three months later, she wanted to—she left for Paris to study surgery at La Maternité. La Maternité was the top 
hospital in the world, especially for surgeries. And France was on the, the cutting edge of doing surgeries, but they wouldn't allow her as a female physician. So do you know what she did? She was rejected when she put in her application. Of course. So she applied as a nurse. And Smart. again, she spoke fluent French because of her father insisting. And she hid all her expert training, but she excelled among the nurses. And she excelled so much that she was asked to teach the other uh, nurses. She wanted to go there as a residency, but they wouldn't let her. So she shared a room with all these other girls and one bathroom, which had six baths. And the girls all had to take their baths at the same time. And they had shifts, like these six take their baths and these six took their baths. She had to be up at 5.30 a.m. Breakfast was French bread dipped in sugared and milked coffee. And her rounds began at 8 a.m. But I think mm. we'll stop at La Maternity yes. and we'll come back because this really is a pivotal point in Elizabeth's life. Man. And um, so exciting. So interesting. And it's interesting to think, we think a lot about like um, racism and those kind of prohibitions, but we forget like some of the things women had to work through. Persevere. Very similar right. and persevere. And there is uh, so many more reasons. So we want you to come back for the next episode yes. of Women Worth Knowing, Elizabeth Blackwell. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.